it really carries so much weight in the B2B world when you are on these bigger media platforms because not everybody gets to get on these media platforms. It's like getting a book deal. Not everyone's going to get a Simon & Schuster or Random House book deal. And so when you do, again, it's not like you're a millionaire overnight. It just means that as far as you becoming more of the sort of top person in your field, that's what it means, you know? And then as you go to seek other opportunities like brand partnerships and keynote speaking, this stuff really, really can differentiate you and and get you gigs over others. Farnoosh Torabi is one of America's leading personal finance authorities and a best-selling author. With a background in journalism, she has worked for publications like Money Magazine and O and CNET, where she broke down the top stories and events for millions of readers. Farnoosh was also the host at CNBC's Follow the Leader. She's a fellow podcaster and hosts So Money, which has over 30 million downloads. Get ready to hear how Farnoosh found her purpose in life and how she's excited to help you too. Coming up, you'll hear about Farnoosh's unique upbringing and how it's made her the woman she is today. Farnoosh shares more about the importance of money and financial literacy. She shares her advice on learning through experience. And finally, you'll hear all about her new book, A Healthy State of Panic. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Varnoosh, I am so excited to finally sit down with you and hear all about your entrepreneurial journey and story. I feel like I have followed you for years, having read one of your earlier books and just followed you on social media. So it's so fun to actually be able to have this conversation live. Well, sort of live today, not physically in person, but as uh, live. Yes, as as live live as we can to, (laughs) to hear everything. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Stephanie. And thank you for bringing me and sharing me with your community, your amazing community of women entrepreneurs, entrepreneistas. I love it. Do you, is that TM? Did you trademark that? Oh, yes. It is absolutely trademarked. Yes. And actually, the first book that I, the first book, I should say the first and only book that Courtney and I wrote, because Courtney and I, we say every year we're going to write another book. And now it's been almost 10 years. It was called Like Love Follow, The Entrepreneurista's Guide to Using Social Media to Grow Your Business. So we've been using this word entrepreneurista for many, many years. And then when we, you know, went to start our podcast, we were like, let's use it, entrepreneurista. So, it's been around for a while now, but yes, we got that trademark. <laughs> One of my friends is the budget nista, Tiffany Aliche. Ah. And uh, if you ever come across her work, she's amazing. So another another good follow for everybody listening. Yeah, we have to bring all the Eastas together. Yeah. So uh, to, to definitely connect us. We'll have an Easta party. Exactly. <laughs> Farnoosh, I would love to hear more about, you know, your background and business journey. Like what led you to become one of the leading, you know, personal finance experts in the world. Oh, you know, I dreamt about it growing up. It was all I wanted. No, I I love this question because it's an opportunity to not just talk about, you know, my professional track, but really give a nod to my personal upbringing. And as the daughter of Iranian immigrants who came here in the late 70s with like a lot of immigrants at the time and still, you know, coming here to 
seek out a better life for themselves and their children, there was a unique aspect to my upbringing that I think contributed to who I became professionally now as a person who helps people with their money. And when I'm talking about money, really they talk about life and so many other things. But my parents were like a lot of Middle Easterners, very fluent when it came to talking about money. And it was this topic in our household that was not taboo, that not to say that we always spoke about it lovingly and happily. In fact, the opposite, there were many arguments and there was a lot of friction and tension around this you know, topic of money in my household, uh, which I get into in my new book, A Healthy State of Panic, where my dad was the sole breadwinner and my mother was not working for a while. And on top of that, layered on that, new mom, new to the country, didn't have income or a license. And so all these barriers... And so their arguments around money were often about control and about Mm. who had it and who didn't, and then then who would have more voice in the relationship as a result of having more money. And so as a little girl watching this, getting a front row (laughs) to these arguments, and then they would, they would come around and have, you know, they would patch things up and then new things would come up. And there was always like a financial stress, kind of like that was the hum in my household that inevitably I grew up to become a young girl, a young woman who was like, I have seen how difficult it can be as a woman to not have financial independence. Mm -hmm. And I can see how important it is to talk about money in a relationship. And along the way, my dad was very encouraging of me to, because he was sort of the more financially literate person in the in, in the family to tell me things about credit and like mm-hmm. 401ks and investing. And so again, I arrived at adulthood with at least like a bit of a running start when it came to sure. learning and being curious about money and dealing with money, unlike a lot of my peers and unlike still a mm-hmm. lot of Americans who we culturally, would, this is a very taboo topic. And so professionally, when it came to kind of realizing what I wanted to do, I always wanted to be somebody who was working in service um, creatively. I loved storytelling. I was big into journalism and theater and public speaking. And so for me, journalism felt like the right fit. And then when it was like, okay, what am I going to actually write about? What am I going to investigate? What am I going to you know, write about and be in service of? It became naturally the money piece because I realized too, the market needed it. My, one of my first jobs was as an intern at Money Magazine, which was early mm. 2000s. At the time, most Americans consumed financial literacy through Money Magazine and Fortune and very few, I would say, platforms. There were a few books. There were, you know, it was like Susie Orman and Dave Ramsey. And, you know, and even at Money Magazine, our target reader was a man in his 60s, you know, who was probably already financially well off and just wanted to know how to like get an edge on his portfolio. And I thought, all right, this is such this fine, you know, great that you know you're a target reader, but I feel like the world is bigger and there's so many underserved markets. And I looked at myself, you know, somebody who was in her young, in her young adult life with student loan debt, living in New York City, not making a lot. I, although I had a bit of a running start, like I said, when it came to financial literacy, I still struggled. I still didn't know how to live below my means. And I was learning as I was trying to create a life. And realize like, 
I should just talk to people like my peers. My peers and I all have these questions about money and that's where it all started. I decided to just designate that young adult, that young woman, consumer, investor as my reader, as my audience member and just Mm -hmm. ran with it. And I got lucky in the sense that I figured this out early you know, I, I will say that I've had a head start in life in so far as recognizing where the opportunities are mm. in the things that I want to pursue and and also liking that, that like, oh, there's a lot of things that have to align. It's like I could, yeah, you know, becoming a, a senator is also interesting, but like, I don't want to do that. There's an opportunity <laughs> there, right? For someone to come in with fresh ideas, but I don't want to do that. But I really, really felt like I had found my my home in this space. And it was not, again, a straight path, but I think it was just this this confluence of factors, my personal life, my professional Mm -hmm. training. I should say I I got my degree in finance at Penn State, coupled that with journalism at Columbia. And so I felt very prepared to do this work and it has literally been my life's work. It was, you know, I, my first real job with where they took out the taxes and, <laughs> you know, that was at a money, I was at Money Magazine. And, and then to this day, you know, still working in this space. It's, I feel very grateful. There's definitely nothing better than living your mission and purpose and waking up every day and knowing that what you're doing is helping so many people. And the fact that you, you know, you say you got lucky that, that you found that, but you followed your, your purpose. And one thing I always say, like one thing led to the next and here you are now today. How many books later? Five books later? This is my fourth book. Fourth book. Fourth book. Yeah. (laughs) And a podcast and so many in, incredible things that you've done in that time. Something you mentioned, though, that I just picked up on because it's also in my background as well. You mentioned theater. Were you doing musical theater growing up? Oh, all the theaters. I did improv. I did comedy. I, did, I didn't think I would be very good at musical theater because I don't consider myself a singer or a dancer. But as you know, singing on a stage, it's not like you need to have a vocally trained voice. You just need to have presence and you can't got to carry a tune, but you got to like, it's more about your, you know, <laughs> how you act through the song. And in high school, I got cast as Sally Bowles in Cabaret at age 16. And I was way out of my league, but I surprised myself, you know, in that I had this in me to be able to perform on a stage and sing. And then I won't say that musicals are my, are my love. I think I like much prefer, I actually directed in college. I directed plays and even in high school directed plays. And so I just love the theater. I could just like be like the person like picking up the trash in the theater. Like I just want to be around that energy. It's so much fun. Oh, I agree. I grew up doing musical theater and I feel like I tell so many of my friends now who have little ones, I'm like, put your kids in in theater because it prepares you for everything. Because no matter what career you end up with, whether you're an entrepreneur or a doctor, like you need presence. You need to be able to talk to people and you need to be able to have presence. And I would add too that having to put yourself in another person's shoes, in other words, Mm -hmm. act, it requires a skill of tapping into your empathy, like 
nothing mm-hmm. else, like no other job, you know, like really trying to understand where people are coming from, what motivates people, what inspires people, how people would interpret an experience and, and not you, but somebody else. I just think that that is like some incredible life training that carries into any discipline that you pursue beyond theater. And it's no coincidence. I agree that a lot of entrepreneurs, I know a lot of people who do very well in social, on social media with, you know, because they're ultimately like just connecting really well. They have training in theater, even if it was like the one play they did in elementary school or whatever, but even just even a flavor of it, of a taste of it will can go a long way. Absolutely. The other thing that I picked up on that you shared was about how many of your friends just did not have a personal finance background and did not know how to manage money. And I so relate to that because I remember I graduated from Cornell in 2006. I mean, I learned about business finance. I never had a personal finance class in college, in high school, in middle school, in elementary school. Like the last thing I remember actually learning about is just learning about, you know, what's a dollar, what's a nickel, what's a quarter in elementary school and like those worksheets, like that's it. I mean, I'm hopeful now, my daughter's almost four and a half. I'm hopeful now in schools, they're teaching more about personal finance. But back when I was in school, there was nothing. So I graduate from an Ivy League college. I didn't even realize that when you put stuff on a credit card, you have to pay it off in a certain amount of time or there's interest. Like had no idea, no one told me. It was never talked about growing up, like nothing. Nothing. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I was a finance major and I not only did I not learn anything useful to be actually work in finance, uh, <laughs> I took four 400 level courses in finance. Like most of what you learn on any job in the beginning, you learn on the job. I just want to say that. So whatever you major in college, I mean, to some extent, just do what you want because like, it doesn't even matter. Don't quote me on that. But I think like <laughs> they are educating more kids around money in schools, not enough. But I think it's just shocking to me I think the resistance I often hear from school administrators and teachers is like, I'm struggling with my own finances. How could I possibly teach this to other people? And I'm like, you teach much harder things in school. Like, you know, for example, physics. I mean, I got like a C in physics and my dad is a physicist. So I don't know how that happened, but I think we're not giving ourselves enough credit. And I think we're, we're just, over-dramatizing the situation. Like, guys, it's not that hard. And we're not asking for you to be able to, you know, teach kids all about like investing necessarily, but even just having a familiarity with it, just even knowing the lingo, knowing at least what to be curious about so that when you get your first credit card, make sure like, here's your cheat sheet of questions or your to-dos. Because do you remember anything you learned in school? You know, maybe not, but I just think that the best way to teach too is through experience. So it's not about here's a textbook on financial literacy, but it's like, hey, let's collectively as a classroom, start a business or let's all like do imaginary budgets and we're all going to have jobs and you have to research that job and find out what that job pays. And if you want to live in New York City, like do some research, go on the internet, ask around because those experiences that you have will stick and you will remember them. It's no coincidence that entrepreneurs today, I read the statistic somewhere, like some of the most successful earners and entrepreneurs it's no coincidence they all had jobs when they were teenagers. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, I believe it. I know it's harder for kids to have jobs now because the school load is so much and they have a lot of extracurriculars going on. But even if it's just a babysitting job once a week, and even if you just a simulated job at school, you know, where you're like pretend starting a business in your entrepreneur class, entrepreneurship class, or your civics class or whatever, I just think it's a wasted opportunity if we don't, you know, bring that into their, into their adolescence. Completely agree. Did you have a business when you were growing up or start anything? I didn't have a business, but I was very much eager to earn. I think because I I just saw early on the damage that can happen when you don't have your own money. Mm -hmm. I remember actually thinking as a kid, all I need when I grow up is money and a license. My mother had none of those things for the first Mm -hmm. like five years of my life. And then even the first 10 years of my life, she didn't have much money. She might've had a license, but, and I just, these are simple things as kids where, you know, obviously you need more than that to survive as an adult, but you get pretty far with money and a license. And I think I just learned the hard way early on the importance of that. So when I was, I think it was like 15 and a half in the state of Pennsylvania, you could go and get a a, a worker's permit. I did. And I got a hostess job at the diner. Mm -hmm. And then in college, I had many, many, many jobs. And even after college, because out of necessity, I had many hustles. I had a full-time job. And then I also had a variety of side gigs, whether it was babysitting, pet sitting, freelance writing, you name it. And it all helped to pay off debt, save a little bit extra, not have panic attacks every time I would buy or something in New York City or go out to eat with my friends. And eventually, you know, the articles that I was freelancing outside of my nine to five, the collection of those articles became the basis of a book proposal, my first book, Mm. which then, you know, the rest is history. So I'm a big believer in side hustles. Yes, I had them all too. My first was a Beanie Baby resale. Actually, no, that wasn't my first. My second business with a Beanie Baby resale business, my first business was, of course, selling Girl Scout cookies. Of course. I still remember being like one of the top sellers and like that was like the best thing ever and definitely got the bug. But I think I also just like had it in me innately. I feel like you're born with the... I do. You're born with that spirit. (laughs) Yeah, my daughter, I can see it in her. She's six. She joined the Girl Scouts this year. All Mm -hmm. All she talks about is, you know, selling the cookies and prior to that, she and her neighbor friend, they did a lemonade stand. And so the big thing we're going to do this summer is we're going to have a big garage sale and we're going to also have an adjacent cookie and lemonade stand. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a hoopla. Y'all just wait for that flyer. I'm going to, I'm very excited. Well, I'm sure you're posted on social. Yeah. (laughs) Can't wait to see that. It's going to be epic. Up next. How Farnoosh builds her personal brands and tips that you can use too. So I want to talk with you about building your personal brand. So, so many founders in our entrepreneurial community are have become very focused on working to build their personal brand because it's very important now, like as founders, like you've built your business like around yourself and around your personal brand, then there's founders who, you know, have a service-based business or product-based business, but they're working to build their personal brand to like elevate the business that they've created. Because ultimately people like to do business with people they know, love, and trust. So when you can show up as authentically yourself on social media or through content, other places, people want to work with you and partner with you. And you've done just the most incredible job at, at building your brand over the past 
10 plus years from getting on early in social to writing books and podcasts. Can you share with me just more about the, the process of building this brand that you've created over the years? Yes, I'd be happy to. And I just want to asterisk and say, you know, my story, it works for me. And I think that hopefully those of you listening will be able to extract sort of the nuggets and kind of be like, oh, that I would do that or I wouldn't do that. But no two stories are going to be similar. No two pathways are the same. And remember, I got started before social media was even around. So I can't even imagine. (laughs) It's a different strategy now, right? It has to be than than it was Mm -hmm. before. But all that said, I still think that there are elements of my journey that are very much relevant and applicable today and will still work for entrepreneurs that are just starting out today. I think that for me, what was the game changer in terms of, you know, I was in a nine to five working at in newsrooms across New York City. I always realized that if I want to make more money and I want to have a lot of potential to grow in my career, I can't just be beholden to getting job after job after job. I can't just wait for employers to hire me. I need to have my own... I have to have ownership in what I create Mm -hmm. to an extent. And you know, ultimately 100% of what I do, I control. But back then it was like, is there something that I can carve out and, and just have ownership of that? And for me, it was the book that I wrote, the very first book that I wrote. And for others listening, if you're working in a nine to five or you're like straddling corporate and entrepreneurship, or you're thinking about moving into personal brand building, I think one of the first questions you want to ask is like, what is sort of my, the foundation, the content foundation that I want to create and own that no one can take from me. And from that, I can create other things. Mm -hmm. So for me, a book was very foundational. It's a very thorough thing. There's multiple, multiple hundreds of pages. It takes years to develop. And from that one, inherently it, makes you an an expert. You're an expert Mm -hmm. when you, you have an author means authority. Like it's just, I didn't know that at first. It was my literary agent who was like, you know, you have a book now, you're an author, which where does the word authority come from? I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Okay. So I'm an expert now. Yes. Own it. So is there something that you can create a piece of content, whether it's a book or it's a podcast or it's a YouTube channel, or it's a really informative social media handle or a blog that showcases your authority, your expertise is consistent, though you can do this regularly because consistency, you know, I'm sure you talk about this a lot in your community. Mm -hmm. It is the differentiator. So many people will start and stop a podcast. Mm -hmm. So many people will start a book proposal and never submit it. So many people might do a few videos on YouTube and never, never continue. And I think part of the, what do you have to figure out before you attempt any of these things? And I'm all for experimenting is just like, what do I like to do? What is my zone of genius? And you know, what's feasible. And if it's like, you look at everybody else, you're like, oh my God, that person has this fantastic podcast and it's three days a week. And I could never do that. Well, no, you're never going to do that right away. But can you start with one episode Mm -hmm. a week? And maybe you don't even launch until you have 10 already in the can because you know that you're going to need like a 10-week buffer (laughs) to get the other ones up. And so you have to know yourself and you have to know what's realistic for you. But you want to get to that point where you can be consistent because that's really, for many people, the biggest problem in the beginning. And Mm -hmm. honestly, everything I've done the most successful things are the ones that 
endure, right? That that continue mm-hmm. to, and that I start early and then I just stick with it. And maybe it's, eventually it will take off, but I just have to like kind of keep at it. Um, and so for me in the beginning, it was recognizing that I need to have ownership. A book can be my pathway to becoming a go-to expert and building my personal brand. And then from there, it was like really figuring out what do you want to stand for? What do you want people to know you for? And how are you differentiating yourself from your peers and making sure that that copy and that communication is very clear everywhere you're showing up on the internet? And even in person, when you introduce yourself to people, you know, making sure that you're very clear on your purpose. And I remember I occasionally will coach people and I I have workshops and I hosted a workshop one year on how to build a book and then leverage that book to build a brand. And one of my clients was introducing herself and she said, I'm sort of like the Swiss army knife of, of nutrition and health. I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that. It was like this laundry list of things. And one of my, my co-hosts who is there to help everybody kind of distill their messaging around who they are, she said, I think that there is this fear that you have of letting go of all mm. of these things that you want to be known for. And I'll tell you like, that is un- that is not, what you just said is forgettable. If I had to repeat who you are, I wouldn't know what to say. She said, rather than trying to be a Swiss army knife of all of the, like a jack of all trades, you want to be a, a really sharp knife in mm-hmm. one area. How about that? And I know that can be scary because we are all multi-talented. I am many things. I can do many things well. And we, we think, I think wrongly, we falsely assume that what we say, you know, is our like one sentence bio will pigeonhole us or limit us. And people won't ever know all the other things that we have going on, all of our other talents. But the truth is when you can convince somebody that you are to be trusted and such so much of an expert in one very specific field, they will eventually get to a point where they're like, what else you got? Yes. They will start to so trust true. you in other, like, look, I've been working in the money space for almost 20 years. And when I get on my phone calls with my podcast listeners, I offer anyone who leaves a review every week, I read a review off of the Apple podcast platform and I give that person a free money consult. Ooh. But I say, look, we can talk whatever you want. <laughs> we can talk about work. We can talk about kids. We can talk about you know, workout routines, like whatever you want to talk about. And inevitably they want my opinion on so many other things besides money Mm. because they've gotten to trust me around the money stuff. And ultimately they also just see me too as like a woman, a contemporary, someone who's lived life and has kids and is a mom. And, And so we connect on a lot of other levels. And so when we get onto these consult calls, they they feel very safe with me to ask me these mm-hmm. other questions. And, and it's just, you know, an example of how you don't have to be afraid of, you know, in the beginning, even at least just limiting yourself to saying, this is my corner of the world. This is what I'm really good at. And I just say this too, from the perspective of the media, I uh, was a producer, I was a journalist, I book still people on my podcast and I pitch myself too to the media a lot and I get a lot of press for my work. And the key to that, and it's so important too when you're brand building, this is advice again to your question about like how to 
promote yourself and how to get your brand going, getting in the media is very, very important. I think that not everybody does. And I know that we live in a very fragmented world that the media may not be like the biggest needle mover when it comes to growing your client base or getting leads, but it is a huge differentiator. And you know, putting those logos on your website, it's credibility that goes an incredibly long way. And people who book you for keynote speaking, people who book you on major television and in magazines, they love to see that you have been, quote unquote, you know, vetted by the media. And so if that's something that you're interested in, I highly encourage it. But the way that you pitch and you get on those media platforms is you don't go, I can talk about anything. You need to talk about what they care about. And so many times, you know, in the beginning of my career, as I was building my platform, I would get so tired, you know, giving my advice on grocery tips or whatever. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to give them, I'm going to give the people what they want and I can give grocery tips. And if it means getting in the Wall Street Journal for it, I will do that. You know, I'm not going (laughs) to squash my chances of that just because I feel like I have other more important heavy things to talk about. You can create those rooms. Like that's why I started the podcast, to be honest, the So Money podcast, because I was like so tired of talking about quick tips. And mm. that's what the media wants sometimes, right? They yes. have a very uh, distracted consumer and reader. Like they don't, writing a 5,000 word essay, you know, there's like few, a few magazines do that. It's really like, what are your six ways to blah, 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 blah. And I, I did a lot of that. And I was like, you know, I really just want to talk about the issues, the things. Mm-hmm. I want to get deeper. And I knew that it wasn't going to be by just, you know, pitching to the Today Show. I had to start my own podcast to do that. And so I guess the other advice here too is that the advice that you give, the expertise that you have, you know, you got to break it up and it's not going to be for everybody everywhere all the time. But if you can find these different platforms for yourself to share this information in different ways, thinking of yourself as a storyteller and that sometimes the story is going to be bite-sized. Sometimes the story is going to be, video only. Sometimes it's audio only, you know, thinking about as we going back to our theater roots, there are better ways to tell different stories. And that's the part of my job that I really, really love is like figuring out, is this better for an article? Is this really more for the podcast? And sometimes you do something on a podcast that then lends itself to an article that then lends itself to a quick social media share. So I love the podcast because for me, it is this flywheel of content. And Mm -hmm. I think, again, if you're somebody who really wants to produce content, it's like, you know, figuring out what is something a little bit longer form that you can create at first. Maybe it is a long YouTube. It's a longer podcast. It's a 500,000 word article on your blog that then you can use to leverage and create other assets online on other platforms in different ways because people consume things differently on social media than they do say a YouTube channel, but at least now you've got something to work with and it makes your job easier and it is allows you to then be in more places than one. 
Absolutely. You just shared so many important and impactful tips. I want to break some of them down right now. So you talked about making sure that when you're getting out there with your message that you are not saying you can do 10 different things, really focusing on that one impactful, important message so people actually remember you. I think that is so important. And then also getting out there and getting in the media and building your credibility. Courtney and I talk about this all the time. This is something we did very early on when we first started Social Fly, and we realized the impact and importance of, you know, writing a book and positioning ourselves as thought leaders in social media, being able to say we wrote the book on social media, being able to go on Fox Business or New York One and Pix11 and talk about social media topics. Because then when we were could talk to clients, they're seeing these clips, they're seeing that we're credible. It's building that credibility in any business that you're in and really positioning yourself that way that can lead to the new business. It's not necessarily, the Today Show is amazing. It's not necessarily getting on the Today Show and all your business coming from the Today Show. It's that that stamp of approval that, oh, this person, this business has been featured here. We should do this too, or we should look into working with this person or business. It really carries so much weight in the B2B world when you are on these bigger media platforms because not everybody gets to get on these media platforms. It's like getting a book deal. Not everyone's going to get a Simon & Schuster, a Random House book deal. And so when you do, again, it's not like you're a millionaire overnight. It just means that as far as you becoming more of the sort of top person in your field, that's what it means, you know? And then as you go to seek other opportunities like brand partnerships and keynote speaking, this stuff really, really can differentiate you and and get you gigs over others. Absolutely. We have in our Entrepreneurs Silly community, we do virtual learning and networking events every single week for our community. And we do a lot of events around like learning how to get press for your business, how to build your personal brand. So we have experts come in and speak with our community. You might know some of them, if you know Sabina Hitchin and Jessica Abo. Yes. So they help like teach our community like how to go out there and, oh, and get that Oh, count me in for that. And, I'd love to do that. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> come on in. And the good news is once you get in the platform now, everything's recorded. So even all the past events that we've done are recorded because it is just so, so important. So I'm glad that you shared all of that. Coming up, get ready to hear all about Farnoosh's new book, A Healthy State of Panic, and what facing your fears really entails. So Farnoosh, I want to talk about your latest book, Where did the idea for this particular book come to be? So for those who can't see us right now, Farnoosh's new book is called A Healthy State of Panic, Follow Your Fears to Build Wealth, Crush Your Career, and Win at Life. How did you come up with this next book idea? (laughs) Well, I kind of alluded to a little bit of it in the earlier part of our conversation when I was telling you about being that little girl who grew up in a household where money was not taboo, but also pretty tough you know, to be around my parents arguing about money. And I had a lot of fear as a kid stemming from my parents' tense relationship, but also being the daughter of immigrants in the 80s, growing up in Worcester, Massachusetts, which if anyone is familiar, you know, love Worcester. But in the 80s, like it was like a real tough, rough and tough city that even the New York Times once called nobody's first choice. And we were living there. And and so my parents actually made me afraid by design. You know, they made me afraid of strangers to no avail. They made me afraid of just all sorts of 
things like being lonely and rejection and failure and all that. And so I grappled with fear a lot as a, and a young girl and then as an adolescent and then even as a 20-something in New York trying to put together a career. And as I'm now in my 40s and mm-hmm. thinking about writing again, it's been departed from book writing now. It's been nine years, but I'm like back at it. Like I've got the itch. I feel like I've said everything I want to say about money, more or less. I've written three books about it. And I'm ready to write something that's a little bit more personal and about my life, but still is in service and has a big idea and maybe even a new way of thinking for my audience. And as I'm writing my stories about my life growing up, I recognize this through line, this pattern of me always having this kind of sort of frictious relationship with fear. And Mm -hmm. the journey for me with fear has been such that now as a woman who is a mother and an entrepreneur and does many scary things, I've never purported to be fearless. I will never be that person who's like, oh, just drop your fears. Oh, fight your fears. That has never actually worked for me. And I actually Mm. think that is not humanly possible. That why is it that we have thousands upon thousands of books about how to be fearless? Because it's not working. We read all the books and yet we still need more books. And so I wanted to, my offer is that what if fear, it can be a tool in your life. And I talk a lot about fear being a tool in the context of your financial life, but also in so many Mm -hmm. other realms of our lives when the stakes are high, whether it's in your career, in your business, in your relationships, in your personal relationships. And when fear arrives, whether it's the fear of loneliness, of rejection, of failure, and I go through these different nine fears in the book, Mm. because we don't even do that with fear. We just kind of like, it's this monolith, this four letter word. It's like, no, there's different kinds of fear and we should Mm. know them when they show up because then we'll know better how to deal with it. How to have a more constructive relationship with fear in these moments so that You can use fear to figure out more about what your goals are, what you want to protect, how to feel safe and stay safe in a moment again where there's uncertainty, there's a threat of failure, there is just a lot of grieving potentially. And these are all the practices and the frameworks that have worked for me and others Mm -hmm. Turns out many of the people that I've interviewed on my podcast, successful people, they too will not say I'm fearless, although maybe I'm the loudest in the the group. Because I think that to say that you are fearful is scary because Mm -hmm. it's suggesting that you're not courageous or brave or smart. And I think that that's so sad that I think you can be fearful and fulfilled and courageous and brave at the same time. These things aren't mutually exclusive. Yes. There was a study out this year, even across a a number of academic institutions, they looked at people who looked at words like fear and sadness and anger and went, whoa, no, that's not for me. That's negative. And then over on the other Mm -hmm. side, there are people who interpreted these words and said, well, whatever, neutral feelings, or actually those can be pretty helpful to you in life. The group over here that looked at these words and experienced these words with that sense ability of neutrality or even positivity, they are happier humans. And I think it's because at the end of the day, on the path to becoming happy, you have to be comfortable within your skin. Mm -hmm. That means being comfortable with all your emotions and not fighting these emotions, but recognizing that maybe they're showing up for a reason. 
Maybe they have a message for you. And fear especially is so personal. What I'm afraid of, Stephanie, is not what you're afraid of. I'm sure there's some overlap, but it tells a story, right? When you're afraid, like I'm afraid of, I was always as a young person afraid of losing my financial independence. My girlfriends weren't because I grew up the way that I grew up. And I think that when you recognize your fears, you are really honoring your past. You are reflecting on your personal narrative, the people who've influenced you. And so I think we should just give fear a chance. And I think it's had some really bad PR. And (laughs) I want to be the, you know, the person who's going to be loud and say, you know, you're fearful. Great. Let's work with that. And that's where the book picks up. It shows us the work, but it also provides a lot of storytelling. And Mm. I didn't want a book about fear to be too heavy. So that's why Mm -hmm. it's a very colorful book on the outside and on the inside. It's very accessible. People now have been reading it and they're like, oh my gosh, like I read it in a, on a plane ride. I read it in an entire, you know, weekend. It's a quick read. It's not meant to, you know, get you depressed or get you feeling like, oh, I have so much work ahead. If anything, it's like, we're just using this natural abundant resource that's flowing in all of our veins 24 seven, a little bit more constructively. Like no one has to go out and buy anything to get good at this. It's all, (laughs) it's all here. I love that. And I actually posted on Instagram yesterday that you were going to be on the podcast to see if any of our entrepreneurs in our community had a question for you. So one of our members, her name is Jenna Minwari. She has a consulting business. And her question for you is, what is one actionable thing that an everyday woman can do today to live out the advice that's in your book? Oh my gosh. Jenna, I love this question. Really, the big action in the book too is to question your fears Mm -hmm. instead of feeling fear and feeling insecure or feeling like, okay, now I have to just like stay in bed or I'm going to, this is going to make me stuck. Like when, and we all know when that feeling crops up, like it's, it's very visceral. Like it's for me, it's like a pit in my stomach or it's like my Mm -hmm. chest is heavy. It manifests clearly in our bodies. And so when you recognize fear, you have to be conscious of it. And I want, this is the action step is to go, what do you want me to protect? Have a conversation with that fear. Take a minute, just a beat, breathe a little bit more heavily and deeply and don't make a decision. Don't make a knee-jerk reaction. Don't think that the answer is either to be stuck forever. The opportunity in this moment is to face the fear and ask it some questions. One of the questions I love is, what do you want me to protect? But you can also ask the fear, what do you want me to learn? What do you want me to learn? Sometimes when fear shows up, it's really pointing to a gap in knowledge, especially in our financial Mm -hmm. lives. When you're afraid of investing, when you're afraid of giving money to a friend who wants to start a business and you love this friend, but you're not really into the business, well, trust that fear. I, I would say you want to do a few things before you hand over that money, right? You want to learn the business plan. You want to ask more questions. You want to say, who else is investing? What are you investing in the business? Are you going to have skin in the game? You know, what are the risks? These are all intelligent, important questions. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes when we feel fear in that moment, for example, with the friend asking for money for the business, we might ghost the friend, 
right? We don't open the email. We like ignore the issue. But I think like the more, the friendlier and also the smarter thing to do is to like, just be honest and ask more questions because it's the right thing to do. And you would be a bad investor if you didn't ask these questions, you know? So you're doing everybody a favor. And so that's the action. I maybe a few action steps there, but asking the fear questions. And really what you're doing is you're asking yourself questions because fear is really just a mirror. I love that. Do you have a lot of these actionable steps are in, in every book, chapter? In chapter? Okay. At the end of every chapter, and by the way, again, every chapter is divided by a fear of something. And I picked nine really juggernaut fears that I think are universal. Things, again, like the fear of loneliness, the fear of um, money is central to the book. And at the end of every chapter, there are questions and prompts to ask yourself when this particular fear arrives in your life. I love that. I have I have it open here. So I know everyone can't see me, but I have uh, Farnoosh's book open right now. She has the fear of exposure, the fear of uncertainty, the fear of money, the fear of failure, the fear of endings. That's a big one. The fear of losing your freedom. So I am so excited to read this book. I'm actually going away this weekend. So I'm going to try to read this this weekend and we'll share with everyone. Farnoosh, I know we could probably sit and chat for hours and hours and hours, but we can't. I know, so but you know what? we are. <laughs> You're going to be seeing and hearing a lot of me. I'm going to join the community. I'm. I want to support your community with as much as as much as I can. So this is just the beginning. Yes, it is. My last question for you, Farnoosh, is what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? Oh, it means having optionality. Oh my gosh, I love that word. You know, just like being able to choose. I love, not that I want to have decision fatigue or that I want to like, you know, there's sometimes there's like too many choices, but I just, you know, being an entrepreneur means that I can pull the levers. I can decide what I'm going to start, when I'm going to stop, who I'm going to work with, you know, and just having that agency and that freedom and those choices is invaluable and it contributes to my ability to say, I'm a rich person. I live a rich life. I love it. You are the true definition of an entrepreneur, Farnoosh. But where can everyone find you, follow you? And for those that are ready to buy your book, where should they head over to do so? And every link you share, we will put in the show notes below so you guys can all grab it. That's really generous. Well, if you'd like to check out the book, I have a website, A Healthy State of Panic. Dot com. You can learn about it. It was just picked as a Newsweek Best Book of 2023. I'm really proud of that. And if you'd like to join me on my podcast, listen to the podcast or submit yourself as a guest, you can check out all that at somoneypodcast.com. I love hanging out on Instagram. I'm not in all of the social media watering holes, but Instagram, I think like for you too, it's kind of where I find I connect best with my audience and I'm off often in the DMs. So slide me, slide into my DMs. We'll have a chat. And what else can I say? I don't know. It's just been so great to be here with you. If you want to chat with me, the DMs are probably the best way. I really, and that you can email me through Instagram as well. Awesome. That's where we connected in DMs. I sent you a DM and I was like, Farnoosh, got to come on the podcast. So all things happen in the DM. Magical place. Magical place. (laughs) It really is. (laughs) Well, thank you again for being here, Farnoosh. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entrepreneurista.com 
and connect with us on Instagram at Entrepreneurs. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entrepreneurs League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entrepreneurs.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Mm-hmm.